Well, Ruby, let's just dive straight in that competition that you teed up there because it is a brilliant competition. So, to all of our listeners, how would you like to be even with a chance to win 400 euro? What about 3,000 euro? Well, listen to this. The PWC Camogie All-Stars take place this Saturday at Crow Park where the Players of the Year will be announced celebrating excellence in Camogie. The awards are all about recognising the country's top players. So, what we want to know is... Who would make your Camogie Team of the Year? So head across to rte.ie forward slash GAA and just and just for voting, we'll enter you into the draw where you could win yourself that amazing €3,000, all thanks to PwC. We'll announce the winner before the end of tomorrow's show and to be given a chance of winning that €400 today, thanks to PwC, simply text us now on 51552 and tell us who your Camogie standout player of the year was and why. Include your name, county and email address in your text. As always, competition conditions, terms and conditions apply. How many times did I say conditions there? To get enough conditions in? We just, you know, need to really emphasise it. Log on yeah. to 2FM.ie to see all of those terms and conditions. That's, that's the place to be. They're uh, professional. That's... We'll get there, Ruby, between the two of us. Um, right, before we chat to Paul Curry and Keen Tracy, a couple of news headlines uh, today. FIFA has banned former Spanish Football Association President Luis Rubiales from all football-related activity for three years. Rubiales kissed Yeni Hermoso on the lips during the trophy presentation after Spain's victory over England in August's Women World Cup final. But Hermoso said the kiss was not consensual. While Rubiales initially attempted to carry on in his role, he subsequently resigned last month and has now been punished for a breach of Article 13 of the FIFA Disciplinary Code. So that is the, the big headline um, news in football. Also for Celtic fans, bad news. Uh, Rio Hatate is unlikely to play again before Christmas. The Japan international suffered a hamstring injury in the first minute of last week's Champions League draw with uh, Atletico Madrid and tests have revealed significant damage and sticking on injury um, news. Leinster scrum half Luke McGrath has been ruled out of action for up to eight weeks with a knee injury. The Ireland back suffered the injury in the BKT URC opening round defeat the Glasgow Warriors eight days ago and the club have confirmed that McGrath uh, will need up to two months uh, to recover. Cormac Foley and Ben Murphy were the scrum halves used uh, in Saturday's win over the Sharks while Jemison Gibson Park is still on a break following his uh, involvement in Ireland's World Cup campaign. Meanwhile, front rowers uh, Michael Milne and John McKee have both been ruled out of contention for Saturday's match with Edinburgh. Of course, a match you can see live on RT2 as well as Munster Dragons. So that is uh, the competition out of the way. There's news headlines out of the way, Ruby. Um, I suppose. Your highlight from the weekend, Shane Dawson? Highlight from the weekend. The highlight from the weekend is that Shelburne are still in contention for Europe. As Paul Curry waltzed into the studio earlier and said, I hope you have the password at the ready. I said, Paul, we've just about avoided relegation. Calm down. Calm down now. But, um, actually, sorry, what, about, stick- what about you, Paul Curry? Hardly Shelburne in contention for, for Europe is hardly your highlight of the weekend, oh, is no, it? It certainly is not. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't, don't scoff. This is a bank holiday. We're trying to be jovial and considerate and kind to each other. Do not scoff at such a, a highlight, Paul Curry. I will focus on Bernardo Silva. I just thought it was an absolute masterclass. I'm sure we'll get into it in a bit more yeah. depth later on in the show, but there's so many stars across the Premier League. The likes of Erling Haaland, there's almost celebrity status about these guys. Bernardo Silva is just somebody who floats under the radar. Maybe it's his, uh, his stature, but 
his performance on the weekend was just absolutely incredible. The way he controlled and dictated that game was something that not many players, I believe, in the Premier League would be capable of, and I just thought he was superb. Mm, absolutely. Keen Tracy. Keen Tracy. Yeah. Um, my highlight away from the, the World Cup, the, the obvious one, was uh, Dylan Donlan making his professional debut for Leinster off the bench at 29. He's a guy who came through the, the Leinster system when he was younger, didn't quite make it. Went off to France, played in Biarritz, uh, went played in lower leagues in England, but then came back and played in the AIL. And he's been the outstanding hooker in the AIL for the last few years. Leinster have a bit of crisis at hooker, which you kind of touched on there. Shane, obviously, Dan Sheehan and Ronan Keller are still coming back from the World Cup. Mm. He got a call last Monday from this day last week from Leo Collin to come in training. I think he was on his way to his real day job, whatever it is. Went in training, made his debut against the Sharks at, at the weekend. So, wow. absolutely brilliant story and great recognition for the quality that still exists in the IL. Yeah, that's that's a proper highlight. Never mind, never mind Chelsea UCD and put me place there with those two. <laughs> Ruby, what was yours? Mine was actually in Japan. Um, a horse called Equinox, who was the highest rated horse in the world on the flat. I saw him live in Dubai last March, but I watched him take a second, nearly a second off the track record in Tokyo on the early hours of... Saturday morning or Sunday morning actually it was um, but he is an incredible racehorse and he heads to Japan Cup next be um, unbelievable if he could ever come to Europe but he is one hell of a racehorse yeah. certainly one to keep an eye out for also I do have to mention a bit of, bit of a curveball Afghanistan is slowly turning into the sports story this summer lads Afghanistan cricket they're fifth in the World Cup at the moment ahead of Sri Lanka Pakistan uh, and England as well they beat Sri Lanka earlier today so I'm a bit of a cricket anorak so they might make the top four and progress to the latter stages but it's certainly a feel good story just throw it in Ruby just thought I'd throw what it out in Afghanistan could do it one yeah <laughs> they certainly could um, ok game on rugby it is time to chat rugby however we did not update you on the score of Cork City versus Shamrock Rovers which is ongoing at the moment 65 minutes gone in Turner's Cross and it is nil-nil in a match that is live on RT2 television um, the league champions of course Shamrock Rovers against Cork City who are heading for a relegation playoff uh, considering the weekend's results um, but it is all about rugby uh, Keen Tracy from the Irish Independent is with us uh, as you've already heard from Stephen Ferris is on the line former Ulster and Irish player BJ Bota is also joining us 2007 Rugby World Cup winner uh, with South Africa who was also at Saturday's uh, Rugby World Cup final so um, BJ if I go to you considering you were there you were present in the stadium did this match live up to the hype and everything else that you expected it to? Uh, good evening, everyone. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, there's no doubt. Um, it was just incredible. And I suppose what made it more incredible, the amount of travel support, I suppose, for South Africa. Um, it was just huge. Um, even though someone told me on the on the TV that there was a, quite a few boos around, I think that came from more of the French or local crowds, I think. But, uh, yeah, the South African contingent was strong and it was just great to be, I suppose, at, a, at an event like that for a special occasion. Stephen, finals often aren't the greatest games of a tournament. Obviously, with the quarterfinals that we had, it was going to be hard for the final to be the epic game. But it was still a cracking contest. Yeah, it was. It was, it was very gripping. Um, it just sort of kept you involved, just the, the, the nature of the game, the red card. I honestly thought that South Africa were going to pull away in the last half an hour of the match, bringing on their bench and a, f- a number of fresh legs, but that didn't seem to happen. If anything, they seemed to be just just out on their feet, probably emotionally, physically, mentally, um, really 
really fatigued and um, you know the, the the run that they had in the Rugby World Cup it, it was a tough run but they just found something like they've done over the last couple of games winning by a point in each occasion and uh, you know you got to take your hats off to them when the, when the going gets tough they're, they're able to just raise it up another couple of percent and you know get over the winning line so fair play to them fair play to South Africa uh, but I certainly feel that it, it really was an opportunity missed by New Zealand because I just thought um, South Africa were, were fading in the game and if anything, you know, New Zealand maybe just left it a little bit too late to come at them. Yeah, it's hard to disagree with anything Stephen Ferris says. Keen Tracy, where South Africa deserved winners? Absolutely. I think any team like South Africa who comes through, they decided a draw that they did. I mean, they won the quarterfinal, the semi-final, and the final by a point and had to do it the hard way, you'd have to say, Shane. They did mm. it their own way as well, which I know... A lot of people don't kind of like watching the South African style of rugby, but I think it's like fair play to them. They've, they've played to their strengths. They went 7-1, split in the final. It very nearly backfired when Bongi and Banambi gets injured so early on. And then you would have had a few worries about Dion Fure coming in so early, yet he came in. And OK, the line-out wasn't seamless, but what he delivered around the park and played, what was it, 70-odd minutes was, mm. was remarkable, really. And it just showed, I suppose, the, the, the utter fate that Rassi Erasmus and Jack Dean Arbor have in their squad. A lot of people were saying it was the biggest risk they've ever seen and into such a big game. And it, it, while it was a gamble, it paid off. So look, South Africa have done it their own way. Like I said, they've come through an unbelievably tough draw. The, the pool of death, they've beat France... The, the host and I always felt like whoever beat France in Paris at the Stade de France was mm. going to really have a good chance of winning and that's the way it proved came through a slugfest against England and yeah I, th- I think you're right Shane I really enjoyed the final as well it wasn't the, the prettiest games at times but um, there wasn't no shortage of talking points which I'm sure we can get it to Absolutely PJ is that just the way you're raised in South Africa Stransky in 95 Montgomery in 07 Henry Pollard the last two World Cups just kicked the points and locked the door on everyone else win at all costs yeah I think it's kind of obviously in one part kind of built in our game with the pressure game really you know and uh, trying to force sides into errors and kind of then taking the points when we can I suppose we've always been somewhat big forward pack so I suppose in past uh, years we, we wanted to kind of keep the scoreboard kicking in somewhat way so we've generally worked like that you see the big teams the Bulls the Stormers you know they're trying to keep the, the kind of scoreboard ticking that leads on to our national side and kind of pressing teams into a position to kind of cough up those points and uh, forcing them to kind of obviously uh, give away a penalty and I suppose that's been part of our uh, DNA and then obviously to the latter years I think Rusty's had a huge part with Neil Albert to our side. We saw 2019 the Chesden Colbys, the Libox coming through and you know adding this whole kind of kicking and running game to our to our team now I think there's obviously aspects in games specifically that tend to us to kind of be quite um not as extravagant in our in our play, and I think obviously you know playoffs such as the quarters and semis, and uh, well we'll we'll put quarters aside, but the semis and the final was really one of those kind of pressure games, and you know forcing obviously trying to get a trying to get as much out of the game as possible, and I think obviously as as you guys alluded to, also finals aren't always the best games, but I think there was a lot going on there. There were some big hits, obviously some 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 moments with cars, obviously, and uh, a lot going. Going on and obviously being there in person, it was a great spectacle. You know, I think there was it wasn't the kind of I suppose feeling each other out. The guys were going. You know, I thought there would be a bigger score, and the guys were going at each other. Um, and there was a drama with injury to Bongi early on, so it had it all. 
Stephen, when you look at Sam Kane's red card, and it was a red card, I don't think anybody had any issue with that, and he's way of tackling. And then you look at how Peter Steff the twat tackled all night. It can be done, right? Did you say Steph the twat there, Ruby? <laughs> twat. No, all right. We're avoiding name calls, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> and did you ever look at the size of him? I fear I would ever walk into him. I am most certainly never going to call him a name. No, definitely not. Uh, Steph the toy is unbelievable. He's unreal, Ruby. He was hands down the man of the match. I think it was 26 or 28 tackles uh, on the day. A number of those tackles, it wasn't just running around grabbing people around the ankles and, uh, you know, taking his time to get up off the deck and back in defensive line. He was absolutely cream cracker in people. Like he was knocking them back, uh, driving them back, uh, man and ball, blindsiding them, um, making tackles that were forcing knock ons. And you have no idea, like, how much that can lift the team. You know, it really does lift the team when somebody puts in a, in a huge hit. Um, and swings the momentum of the of the occasion, and he was just relentless from from minute one to minute eighty. And you know, I was probably slightly disappointed with him over the last six weeks of the competition. I don't think he's played to his potential. Everybody I was chatting to was sort of like, "Oh, I'm not sure if he's over." You know, some of the injuries, previous injuries that he's had. Um, and any game I said at NRT the weekend, any game that sort of watched me almost was was marking space rather than marking the man. He would come up and try and block passing channels and just was a bit of a maverick um, in uh, in defence. But I don't know. I think he's probably sat down during the week with uh, Jacques Nienaber, the defence coach, the head coach obviously as well, and, and really targeted what he's good at. Um, he isn't a brilliant carrier, but he is an outstanding defender and the way he makes impacts in games is just outrageous. So, yeah, I think he was the winner of the of, of the game for South Africa. And um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully we see more performances like that from him in the future. But Stephen, even where I was going as an, an ambassador for rugby and the pressure rugby was under coming into this World Cup re-injury, the angle that the twat, the twat, the twat tackles at is incredible. He's so low; it's always under at below rib height. I just thought, yeah, looking at it, I thought there's an ambassador for your sport. Yeah, it is. And it's just about, first of all, it's about timing. It really is. Being there on the pitch, you have to time it correctly. If you don't, you'll end up getting red cards and yellow cards all over the place. And I think when you look at the majority of the tackles during this Rugby World Cup, I don't think there's been a malicious act in any of them. I think it's just being mistimed. The Tom Curry one against Argentina in the first game for them, it was just a second out, and that's all it takes at the top level sport in rugby is that you know half a second out even you, you could make uh, connect with somebody's head, and that's what we want to try and stamp out of the game. But uh, Peter Steph the toys um, timing is just incredible, and he, he backs himself. You know, he's very quick over the ground as well. So if it is a 50-50, he will back himself and go for the tackle. Again, in previous matches, he was maybe getting up and, and, and just almost blocking that passing channel, not making that big hit. But he was absolutely bang on it. And uh, yeah, a great advertisement for, for young people how to how to tackle. Um, if it was being a critic, he only tackles with his right shoulder. So he needs to work on his left. There's always room for improvement. And... <laughs> <laughs> um, Keen, not the winning moment, the last moment of the match. 
is, uh, to some New Zealand fans, they're a bit irked by, by the call. Would I, would I be right in saying that? Well, it was Jason Ryan, actually, the forwards coach. I was listening to an interview with him in the mix zone, and I'd love to get BJ's kind of taken this, obviously, he, mm. being the scrum expert that he is. But the Kiwis certainly felt like they had a bit of pressure on towards the end of the scrum. And Shane, this is something that we were chatting about last week, I suppose. The scrums were very much in the, the headlines for probably the wrong mm. reasons, you have to say, after the, the semi-finals. But, um, yeah, the, Jason Ryan, the forwards coach, like I said, felt like New Zealand were on top. Um Wayne Barnes, if you remember, went for a reset, which I think Ireland would have much preferred in their quarterfinal against New Zealand if he'd went for a reset for that one on Andrew Porter, except he, he pinged Andrew Porter. Mm. So it'd be, it'd be good to get BJ's thoughts on it. I know he, it's his area of expertise, uh, given that he is South African. But what did you think of it, BJ, at the end? Yeah, it was an interesting one. I mean, I suppose it wasn't as clear. I would not really completely agree with Jason Ryan in regards to being on top. I think there was parity there. I think there wasn't really that momentum from the All Blacks other than when they were getting quite desperate towards the end and probably the last scrum tend to be and giving them everything on that side. And I suppose that's the kind of um, position the ref is in. Now, I think Barnes, first form, first and foremost, I don't think there were many resets. So he was in, he was really good there, I think, and he really made a decisive, those, those decisive kind of, I suppose, um, blew those um, kind of moments really well. But for me, I think the ball in one part, I see the collapse happening and the ball becoming available. I think it, um, he picked up, we was on the back, he was Visa picked up and he took it in straight away and um, carried the ball and then basically went to ground. And I think probably if maybe it was still maybe in the tunnel or under the feet, he might have kind of thought about something different. Last seconds of the game, he's probably also aware of that and all these other things that go through your head. But look, I think the one thing is that, you know, from last week, I mean, I obviously commented on that and uh, it's the biggest response ever, I think, on social media in regards to the situation with the knee. But I think in one part, that was a little bit different with South Africa really being in ascendance in the last 20 minutes when the bomb squad came on. In this game, I think they really missed Bongi. Probably the one area that they did miss Bongi was the scrummaging. He's our best technical scrummager in South Africa, and uh, he, when he was missed, you felt that. And obviously, they were going at us that day. They were kind of going at us, never mind the time, but they felt obviously in one part they could go at us. So for me, I don't think it's a sure enough, uh, sure enough kind of penalty in that way. I think it was kind of the ball was available and Barnes went with that, you know. Yeah, go on, Shane. Go on. No, it is. Uh, I suppose consistency is, is is the big thing we want here, BJ. And it's, yeah. fair, it's fair to say we we had that in the final, did we? Yeah, I think so. I think I had consistency, and also, you know, players adapt to the referee in the game as well. You never mind the scrum breakdown interpretation around what he's really looking at, and you know, and you just want the referee, and and they're not obviously. <laughs> They're gonna they're gonna try and bend the referee's kind of view as much as possible during the game. So I mean, it, it does happen. I mean, two resets and the team's been warned. I mean, do players then look to go down and force it force someone to kind of, you know, these things happen. And, and, and I mean, this is the players' kind of experience around this area. So there's no doubt. But Barnes really dealt with it decisively. And I think he's an experienced campaigner. He's obviously blown for many years in the Premiership where they obviously scrums has always been very important and he's got years, years of experience. And, you know, up front, the other part of it, as we've seen, I think, as I said, it's hardly any resets, hardly any penalties or free kicks around the areas because they really just needed to be sure that they didn't want to be doing anything stupid. 
And I mean, I suppose Barnes then first falls managed that situation very well, and uh, and the players then uh, went about their business. Yeah, I totally agree. I think Wayne Barnes actually had an excellent game. It wasn't an easy one to, mm. to referee. The conditions were horrible as well. It was wet, I thought. All the, the card decisions, I think, were correct as well. I thought he communicated well with both teams. But on your point, Shane, about the consistency, I suppose like rugby, rugby is an imperfect game, I suppose, as many sports are. But it's very hard to get, like, you know, matter-of-fact consistency around stuff like the scrum and the breakdown because referees do interpret things differently and that's just the the way the sport is like not like no two referees really referee the same particularly if you go from a northern hemisphere ref to a southern hemisphere ref that is part of what makes rugby the way it is you have to adapt like bj said there you have to adapt to whatever interpretation is and we we hear so often about it's become a bit of a cliche about painting the right pictures for the referee but it's very true. I mean, we saw that going back to the Ireland game as well. Wayne Barnes had an image in his head where he felt like Andrew Porter was kicking his hips into the scrum and then Porter got penalised again later on the game and then Finley Beelham got done for something similar later. So it is really important to paint or write mm. pictures for the referees. But I thought as a World Cup final, like the most experienced referee in the game, there was a lot of like, you know, four cards. I don't think there's been as many cards in the uh, World Cup final ever. The first ever red card in a final, but like I say, you couldn't argue with that. So um, while the Kiwis might have a few issues with the last scrum, I don't necessarily think they were blaming Barnes, certainly from Jason Ryan, as I mentioned, the fourth coach. I don't think he was blaming that for the, the defeat at all. Yeah. There's always going to be a bit of bitterness, I suppose. You're trying to find reasons for why you lost, but I thought Barnes did a really good job. Stephen, do you think rugby has been a winner from this World Cup? Do you think that it showcased itself as well as it could, refereeing, all those decisions? Do you think it was a good World Cup? Yeah, I certainly do. Excuse me, I think um, I suppose fans and pundits, analysts were a little bit apprehensive that the Rugby World Cup could be ruined by just red, just numerous red cards and, and yellow cards, and, and almost spoiling it. Uh, a number of the fixtures, but we seen you know, take the final out of it. We seen as soon as we got to the knockout stages that that sort of cleared up a lot. Um, we seen. Personally, I thought the, the couple of the quarterfinals were the best ever games that I've ever witnessed. Um, just sublime spectacles. Just a pity I wasn't there to savor some of the atmosphere that was that was happening in the Stade de France. Um, and yeah, uh, I think the two best teams in the world, in, in New Zealand and South Africa, made a really entertaining game out of tough conditions in the final. And um, I, I said. Uh, go back to what I said on RT the other night is it the best ever Rugby World Cup and I think obviously if Ireland had been there it would have been 100% yes but um, until Ireland get there I think just the final just wasn't good enough for me to, to say that it's the best ever Rugby World Cup but I think um, it's probably been one of the best supported that's for sure BJ as somebody who has won a World Cup what do Ireland have to do differently in order to win one? Yeah, firstly, I just want to echo what Stephen said there. I think it's really important to understand, I suppose, the big talking point was also about the pools, you know, and how they were kind of obviously pulled, I think, three years before the World Cup and how that kind of, you know, affected the World Cup. It definitely did. I mean, for me, having those quarterfinals, you know, those those were not quarterfinals. You know, that's, you know, your biggest four in the world and, and how that kind of had a run on uh, two teams like Ireland, you know, 
in the situation that we're in. I mean, the pressure and everything else that comes from quarterfinals and semifinals. And uh, look, we can talk about that, you know, until the cars come in. But unfortunately, I hope from all other than other than what Stephen said, I think they, uh, which was um, 100% correct. I just hope they look at this and, and, and plan this correctly going forward. You know, I think um, for me, um, the World Cup was unbelievable. Obviously, unbelievable to be at the final, but you know, I think I think Ireland Ireland found themselves in a in a real tough position, as I mentioned to you, in a quarterfinal. You know, against against one of the world's best, and I suppose coming through that South African game, they showed what they can do. Never mind all the talking points about if, but, and maybe about South Africa. That's what they did. They put you know, points on the board and they won the game and they were in a very good position, number one in the world before that game. So there's no doubt they've done everything they could do. And, you know, sometimes you just don't have that, those those kind of opportunities go your way, that they just don't. And I think Stephen has alluded to some of the games in the World Cup where those games were just kind of did the best team win, was the, you know, where the guys, did the guys arrive in a World Cup's long campaign. The one thing I will say from a South African perspective, and obviously we were fortunate enough to have the depth we have in our side. You know, it might not be have the talent, but you then have the size. I suppose that's the one thing I've always kind of asked questions about about Ireland. You know, best 15, arguably, you know, coming into any game. But what is the what is the depth like coming off the bench? You know, and and the, and the kind of campaign being a six seven week campaign, games leading into it, injury wise you know, fatigue, all these kind of things. So I believe that's the that's one of the keys to kind of being successful. I mean, we saw how fatigued the guys were coming through the games and, you know, you ask the questions, you know, the low, those last three games, especially in this World Cup, were, were huge. And, and the team to kind of come through the end were probably the team to manage that best, have the kind of, the physical kind of side as well because you need that in sometimes you don't maybe need that step and a pass you need just to run over someone and get an ascendancy in time so I would say that it will be an important factor for Ireland going forward forward to have to build the squad now again but they're going to have to also build the squad in key positions and it's going to have to be a, a deeper squad Keen, because the next World Cup is an extra match in a shorter time period yeah, there's going to be a big, I think, a big turnover. There's a, I think there's a nucleus of the squad that were there now who you can build it around, guys like Caden Doris, James Ryan. Uh, you've got, like, Joe McCarthy coming through now. But, like, there's going to be guys who are going to be in their mid to late 30s. Are they going to make it back, I think? A lot of people will look at Johnny Sexton going to this World Cup at 38, but he's been a bit of a, a freak, really, to to have been able to do that. So not many people go to World Cups and, and play to to that age. So, yeah, there will be a bit of a turnover, Ruby, but I think you think of Irish rugby as a whole, the quality of players coming through. The 20s have won two Grand Slams. I mean, not all of them will graduate to, to senior international rugby, but there's going to be a hell of a lot of them that there are. Mm. You look at Munster winning the URC last year, you look at Leinster now have gone two years without winning a trophy which is a big problem for Leinster but they're now getting the World Cup winning head coach in who's now becoming part of Irish rugby in Jack Neenarber like what a fantastic opportunity this is for Leinster like I said but also for Irish rugby to tap into his knowledge because like we touched on at the start of the show the ability that South Africa showed to go to the well week after week to get like three one point victories in a row like that shows serious serious guts and determination as well as skill and everything that comes with it so I think Irish rugby are massively going to be tapping into Jack Neenarber. He was hugely popular when he was here with Munster, with Rassi Erasmus. He's obviously going to replace Stuart Lancaster at Leinster. Big shoes to fill, but it could be the missing piece that, that Leinster have been missing. So I think as a whole, Ruby, Irish rugby 
is in a good place. I'm a bit more optimistic than I was uh, a couple of weeks ago when the, the pain was still very raw. But I think when you step back and look at it as a whole, there's plenty of talent coming through. It just will be hard to replace the likes of a generational talent like Johnny Sexton. So there's no doubt about that. Stephen Ferris, I imagine you were up all last night waiting for the rugby team of the year to be announced. <laughs> waiting with Dave Pate and Brett to see who'd be on it. How many of them did you disagree with? Um, uh, probably a handful. I know there's... Um, <laughs> uh, I think there's a lot of people down in South Africa aren't happy with some of the, the other awards with the coach and um, player of the year and uh, a few others. So after winning the Rugby World Cup. Um, I think if you win the Rugby World Cup, I think if I won the Rugby World Cup, I'd be happy enough if I didn't win another <laughs> award for the rest of my days. And I think every Irish player and fan would be happy enough for that too. But yeah, um, obviously, you know, there's some been some quality players, um, some consistent players throughout. There's a lot of good players as well that, that weren't named in that. But I think any single person that you could ask Ruby could put out a, a different team. Um, you know some of the some of the players like are you going to pick pick Bundiaki? Are you going to pick Barrett in the centre? Like both have just been uh, off the charts good. Um, go to the back rows. It's just you know you've so many lads to pick from as well. So yeah, I was I was happy to see Artie Sevea, um pick up uh, you know the, the World Player of the Year um, the number eight. He was uh, I think he single handedly changed the game in the final in the second half he was very quiet actually in the first and didn't do too much and then all of a sudden three or four huge carries um, he just got his team um, in the ascendancy and you know obviously probably I'm, I'm not actually sure who took over the captaincy but he seemed to be the one that was leading by example uh, once Sam came was red carded and yeah I was, I was delighted for him uh, an absolute beast of a player and um, you know he'll be going home happy, happier to New Zealand after picking up that award. But yeah, some quality operators that we've seen playing throughout um, this Rugby World Cup, and hopefully we'll see a, a good few of them guys again in four years' time. Certainly, here's hoping. BJ, as a South African, then did you agree with Ireland head coach Andy Farrell being named as World Rugby Coach of the Year? Yeah, look, I think it was a close one. Eh? There's no doubt between himself and Ninaba and I suppose no one can argue with that you know uh, incredible year incredible year as I said for, for Irish rugby and especially going we remember obviously the tour to New Zealand so there's no doubt someone will argue with that obviously Ninaba being fresh in people's minds coming off the World Cup but you know I think South Africa has been building and I suppose that's what they've done in past you know they haven't really probably shown you know, their cards too early, you know, kind of trying to build their squad and their depth. So there's no doubt any further, I think, uh, well-deserved. I suppose they would be the disappointing South Africans, but they would understand that, you know, South Africa, um, Ireland being number one in the world just the other day and how Andy Farrell has built up that squad, you know, has been quite incredible. And, uh, you know, the seamlessness, that, that side, how they attack, it's, you know, still incredible to watch. And I suppose um, that hopefully want to kind of build on that now and uh, with Andy going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it is, I suppose, Keen, you mentioned Nina Barr going, going to Leinster. So Felix Jones going to England as well. Remains to be seen where next for Razio Rasmus, what role he will take. So it will be interesting to see um, where South Africa go. But Keen, as you pointed out, this is team of the year, not yeah. team of the tournament as well. So some... yeah. It's, it's, it's nice, Keane Tracy, to have these discussions, yes, I suppose. Yes, just before we come on air. But yeah, BJ's right to, to point to even the New Zealand tour last year because this is all factored into the, the, the reckoning as well. It wasn't the team of the World Cup. It wasn't the coach of the World Cup because if it was, you'd probably pick 15 Springboks and Jack Dean over. Okay.
Sinead, that is where we're going to leave our rugby chat. Stephen Ferris, thank you very much. BJ Bota, thank you very much. Keen Tracy, thank you um, very much. Lots more to come. We will be hearing from Stephen Scullion and Anne-Marie uh, McGlynn as well. A couple of texts in saying, I can't believe we haven't even mentioned the Dublin Marathon uh, record being broken. New course record set by Ethiopian. Ah, that's all to do with the shoes. It is the super shoes. But shoes, it was shoes, shoes. Driving to work yesterday was, it was an emotional occasion. It was great to see people pushing. So many congratulations. I thought Sonia was very good at it on the radio yesterday morning. I was listening to her talking about records in the past and records in the future and with the technology the way it is. And that's well worth a listen to. I think she was on with Marie McCallan. Okay. No, it is. That is, because our record's been broken everywhere. But very uh, massive congratulations to everyone who ran uh, the Dublin Marathon. Um, okay, it is still nil all in Cork City. Shamrock Rovers approaching full time. Lots more to come in our soccer chat with Stephen Kelly and Paul Corey. So stick with us here in Game On 2 FM. Game On. Football. Now, Paul Corey and Stephen Kelly are standing by to chat football. But before we chat to the lads, we can hear from Sinead Farrelly because RTE Sports' Dave Kelly sat down with Sinead ahead of the UEFA Women's Nations League match uh, tomorrow, Albania versus Ireland. A match, of course, you can listen to live commentary here on it. And earlier than usual, game on. We're on at uh, just four, five o'clock with a five o'clock kickoff. So here is uh, Sinead Farrelly speaking to Dave Kelly. Game on. Football. OK, Sinead, obviously back in the Republic of Ireland squad and I'm sure happy to see some uh, plenty of familiar faces and maybe one or two not so familiar. Yeah, no, it's been great. I'm just obviously having missed last camp. It's just been really nice to be fit enough to be in here and connect again with the girls and meet the new staff and just get back in the environment. So it's been good. This is the first time we've, we've had a chance to talk to you since the World Cup and obviously mm. Vera Pau brought you in. Um, how, how do you reflect on the whole World Cup experience now, uh, you know, a few months on? Yeah, I mean, it was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity and I'm so grateful I got the opportunity to be there. I think that, you know, we all look back and wish we could have done better, but we're so proud of what we accomplished and know that this team's just going to, like, keep excelling and keep up-leveling. Um, but overall, I'm just like really grateful I had the opportunity to do that with this team. And what was your view on the aftermath of the World Cup? Because obviously, a lot of people looking on felt that it, it, it ended in terms of Vera's departure and whatever on a, on a sour note. Yeah, um, I mean, I think things get like blown out of proportion, I'm sure, from the outside. But I think like that chapter was just, it was time for that to close and we're in a new chapter and I think there's positives and negatives from the past, but like we're trying to be better and move forward. And I think we're all really excited about like the new chapters coming up for the team. And did you feel in any way awkward or, or compromised in, in regard to the incident in the, in the final game where there was a substitution and there was the incident between Katie and yeah. Vera? And obviously, no, <laughs> like, no, we're cool. It wasn't a thing. It just became a thing from people that didn't know what they were talking about. So yeah, we're fine. Just in terms of this campaign so far, obviously it's gone very well and uh, promotion could be actually secured in this game uh, with Albania, but it, promotion looking very, very uh, likely. Moving up to League A for the European Championship qualifiers obviously means playing more difficult opposition, but that presumably is something that the players will welcome. For sure. I mean, that's what we want. I, we know that we're good enough and we're only going to get better by playing better teams and I think we really just want to challenge ourselves so that would be something we're really excited for and pushing for. And in terms of your own situation obviously you're among the uh, US based players, uh, quite a few on the squad. In terms of the, 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 the travelling and, and, and obviously you're coming from America to, uh, for these international breaks, that, that's, that's not an issue and that you're, you're, you're very happy to, to be here and to continue to be here. 
For sure, yeah, I want to be here as long as my body's feeling good and I can make it work. I think the travel does take a toll on you, but it's like part of the game and what we do. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to be here. And just overall in terms of the, um, the game in, in Ireland and, and where it can go, obviously the hope is to, to build on the World Cup and to be in major tournaments on a regular basis. Yeah, and I think this team has the capability of doing that, and I think the support has been amazing for this team, and I think as like the fan base grows and this team like keeps challenging themselves and getting better, like that's where we're headed. So. And is there anything different in terms of um, being around the squad in terms of obviously Eileen in, in interim charge at the moment compared to when, when Vera was manager? Yeah, I think there's like a change in energy for sure. I think the environment is maybe more positive among the girls and there's more confidence and desire to be more aggressive and really like have more confidence on the field. Um, and I think that just helps us. So it's been great. Yeah. Game on. Football. So as I mentioned, Albania versus the Republic of Ireland live here on uh, Game On tomorrow at five o'clock kickoff. Uh, Paul Corey, you have been keeping an eye on a match that has just finished: Cork City versus Shamrock Rovers, um, the recently crowned League of Ireland champion Shamrock Rovers. Nil all, but not a dull nil all. That fair to say? Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Um, listen, Rovers made a lot of changes. I think it was only League Race who survived from Friday night when they won the league. And it was a chance to maybe see some of the younger players that are coming through the academy with particular notice, I guess, on Naj Razi. Yeah. Dan McDonald did a story on the weekend there about interest coming in from Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid. So there's a lot of hype around this. Is, is the caveat to that, though, because he's under 18, so it's kind of mainland Europe as opposed to England? Yes, but Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid are still. Oh yeah, I'm not not not, not <laughs> scoffing at it. <laughs> pretty top tier clubs. Uh, he listen. This guy was very exciting in the European Championships with the under 16s or 17s mm. in the summer, and and he has that technical ability where he'll drop deep, he'll get on the ball, and he'll make things happen. So it was a good opportunity to see him there tonight. The conditions in Turners Cross, Shane, were were really really bad. The, the pitch cut up quite badly, and it probably didn't lend itself to the most attacking football that you're ever going to see. But Leon Poles pulled off one or two saves late on to get Rovers a point, and for Cork, I guess all eyes are going to be on that playoff game and. You know, the performance today wasn't too bad. It's it's something that they can work on. I'm sure Richie Holland will be happy enough to get a point against Rovers and look to, I guess, build some momentum and confidence within the squad. But for Rovers, it's it's all about trying to get some of those younger players' minutes in the legs and see whether or not they can blood one or two of them in. But Naj Razi is certainly a name for, for people to look out for. Absolutely. And Conan Noonan, the man of the match as well. So a couple of young players coming through um, at Shamrock Rovers. Uh, Paul Curry, we're not previewing the matches just yet, but the the hunt or the the chase for Europe is is heating mm. up at the moment. Um, Bowes must be bitterly disappointed. No shells crawled over the line to UCD. A, a late Jack Moylan goal. Uh, Jackie got a, a hat trick. Derry late goal defeated Cork City. Sligo nil all with Drogheda. So Sligo um, secured safety. Um, Two 0 though. Dundalk against Bowes we all expected Bowes to kind of finish a bit stronger than they are and I think a lot of people expected Dundalk to finish worse than they are they've been going well yeah and listen I actually thought a couple of weeks back that Bowes were going quite strong but it seems as if they've really struggled in recent weeks and I think if you look at I think they might have won 8 of their opening 10 matches from there they've won very few games Shane yeah and I think you have to start asking a couple of questions of Bowes and 
looking at them where they are in the league division at the moment they're clinging on to the FAI Cup as their only hope to get into European football for next year which is going to be so important for you know budgets and building the squad and, and trying to take them on to the next level so I'm sure there's a huge number of question marks with Bose fans and how they've performed in recent weeks and I was chatting with Damien last week and I didn't I didn't suspect that they'd go to Dundalk and get a result and I think a lot of Bose fans would have shared those sentiments as well they are in a real dip in form and Jonathan Afalabi's goals have maybe dried up Mm. to an extent and, and there's they, a lot was, of reliance on them that yeah. was papering over a lot of cracks within the performances and I'm sure there's a lot of question marks heading into the FIA Cup final that you know they're not heading in in any sort of form and Shells they nearly had a wobble didn't they oh stop stop nearly had a wobble but got the job done and they Jack Boylan has been superb he has and hopefully it goes well for him at Lincoln because Mark Kennedy obviously has left Lincoln who, who signed mm. him there so we'll be interested to see how he gets on I think yeah. he'll do well wherever he goes in, in the UK I think he's got the game for it he carries the ball well he's got a good physique he handles himself very well on the pitch and he's always involved in the final third and he has that instinct of picking up positions to score goals I think he'll do really well over there mm. <clears> how he <throat> turns a man as well it's, it's, it's nearly predictable yet unstoppable at the same time as well so yeah, yeah a hat-trick yeah. for, for Jack Moylan as Shell's scrape uh, victory to stay in the hunt he for, for your... half our goals has he? Yeah oh, he's in the running now for, for um, top goal scorer in the league and now. player of the year you know uh, normally, yeah. normally there's an, a standout candidate Rory Gaffney was absolutely that last year Jack Moylan and I would say Joe Redman at St. Pat's they're probably two players that I would look at as, as being yeah. outside candidates there's not, it's good to see that there has been standout players in the league that perhaps overall has, has, has lacked the quality um, that we wanted Maybe it has, but we're going to move across the water to the English Premier League and I suppose Stephen Kelly, where better to start than the Manchester Derby, which sort of only involves one team in Manchester. <laughs> yeah, to, to your dismay, Ruby, again. It's just uh, Not to my dismay, to my disappointment, maybe. <laughs> sorry, just disappointment, yeah. It's constantly red, isn't it? It's constantly blue over there at the moment. Um, I... Uh, we, we talk about City and we talk about them, you know, having a bit of a different form. But when it comes to big games and moments, they, they just produce, don't they? And a couple of big saves from Anna. Um, one that, you know, initially could have led to um, Holland getting that goal. But I just think overall, City are just, it's just a much better side than Manchester United. And United just seem to be in, in a position where no matter what seems to happen, doesn't go right for them. Um, and City just relentless. They're absolutely relentless. And they, they'll, we talked about them getting on form and hitting a, a vein of form and they're capable of doing it against any team anywhere. And it, the Manchester Derby doesn't, doesn't really mean anything to them at all. <laughs> they just go and produce. They do. I mean, it was in Old Trafford, but City had 21 shots, 10 of them on target, 61% possession. I mean, United, look, where are they going? Nowhere, but it looks like. Yeah, no, I, I was joking. We, we, we're going to go back to Chelsea again. But I think Chelsea finishes you know, this season. Um, and that's even with the... Yeah, I really do. Honestly, I do. And well, I, I no, just look, think... life as a pundit now, Stephen, can be, can be tricky, right? Yeah. So just, just hang on a second. Game on. Football. You're kind of thinking, who will break that for? Who can get in there? I think Chelsea will still have something to say on it as it goes on. Um, really? That's yeah, something now. I know, I know. I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not talking about every winning Monday it. Monday from now until yeah. next May. Oh, no, I'm not talking about winning it. And I'm not doing a call. A call, I think, was when Lukaku signed these Chelsea were winning. Were winning. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always going to bring that back. But no, um, it was. I just feel that they will get it right at some point, And I think they'd be a very decent side. I'm not, I'm not saying they're going to yeah. have it on the title. I'm just saying they might have a say in the top four and how it finishes. Game on. Football. That was last Monday, Stephen Kelly. 
Brentford beat them 2-0 at the weekend. Uh, I know. I tell you, I'm still sticking by my words. And Paul, Paul's a fan and Paul's thinking, I hope Stephen's right here in what he's saying. <laughs> but the reason he I'm not perking up here. He doesn't. I don't even think he believes it, but genuinely, I'm telling you now, I think Chelsea will come good. I think they have a better chance of coming good than United do. I'd agree that's with that. Going, that's, going, that's going to put them about 12th. Yeah. Well, no, hold on. Yeah. Pa- pa- Paul, no, pa- Paul no. You're, you're in Stephen Kelly's Kelly's uh, camp on, on this, Paul. Yeah, no, I, I do agree with that. I, I think you can you can see the basis of what Pochettino is trying to do. Mm. I think when you look at Manchester United, it's it's a different sort of setup and it's it's different personnel on a weekly basis. And I think Chelsea, albeit they've got a younger squad, I think it will click at some point. Some of that might rely on Kunku coming back into the team. Um, you know, we didn't learn mm. anything new about Chelsea on the weekend when teams sit deep and when they play with a low block they are struggling to open teams up and they're not clinical enough in the final third. I mean, Cucurella had a great chance. Sterling had another great chance. If you score early in that game, it becomes an easy day at the office. They don't. And then you always have a feeling that the longer the game goes on, uh, teams will get opportunities. And, you know, they've been overturned by Forrest. They've been overturned by Brentford. It's happened too many times. I agree with Stephen in the sense that I think that could turn at some point. And I think maybe if they'll start scoring earlier in games, they might put those types of fixtures to bed. Finishing ahead of Manchester United doesn't mean they'll finish in, in the top six, but I, yeah. I do think they have the potential to have a better season. I, I recorded that clip from last week because it's uh, in, 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 into the top four. So that means one yeah. of these has to drop yeah. out. City, yeah. we already discussed them. Arsenal, them, I know they only beat Sheffield United at the weekend, but like Enketi had a hat trick. They were, they were just flying. Not at they were rampant. They were excellent. They, were, they really were. Right, so Spurs, the weekend, 2-1 against Palace. Son gets another goal again. You think they're going to drop out of the top four? Um, no, I don't think Tottenham will drop out. I think Tottenham will sustain in there, hopefully. for. And I think Benton Court coming back is massive for them. I think Brennan Johnson, if he gets games in his belt, he could be huge for them as well. Um, it's whether they strengthen in, in January or whether they keep hold of players that would be important for them. So I think Tottenham will be up. It's just whether or not who else they can pull back in. Um, and I know you're looking at Liverpool, thinking Liverpool aren't going to drop many points with the form they're in at the moment. But I know, I, I do just think this, I think there's something bubbling there. I know you're watching it going, really, really? But I don't know. This, the, this, like the, Some of the players have said, I know players mean nothing unless they're performing week in, week out and actually at a decent level. But I think he can get them going, I really do. Are, do we gloss over Paul Curry Liverpool a bit much? Like obviously, mm. first and foremost, important to mention the the ordeal that the the Diaz family mm. are, are going through at the moment. Um, like it's just, our thoughts go out to him really at the moment. Um, obviously, that mm. is an ongoing situation. But but from the football side of things, I mean, like everything is clicking in, in their midfield. Like are things clicking for Jurgen Klopp, Paul? That perhaps we're glossing over a bit. I think the midfield is is. You know the area that was identified that needed change and needed to bring players in. I think somebody like Sabazlai has breathed more energy into their play. You can mm. just see it. And, and maybe last year mm. they looked a little leggy in some of their their build-up play, or maybe in their recovery runs, the likes of Fabinho and Henderson. The legs had started to to really go, and there's just so much more energy about the team, and they get about teams and suffocate you nearly. And mm. they've done that a lot of times this season, and there seems to be you know just a bit more impetus in their play. You're always guaranteed goals. With, with the players that they have in, in the front three positions whether it be Salah Nunes I, I think still has more in him and there will be more in him once he gets a run of games Jota Diaz whoever it is you play in that front line you always expect that they will yes. score goals the questions will always come and the transitions whether or not they have enough to kind of te- keep teams out I think the likes of Savage 
McAllister and at times uh, Gravenback are doing a better job protecting the back four I still think they could do with another body in there just to give that bit more protection to the likes of Kanate and Van Dyke. but there's certainly a resurgence in their play and you can feel it you can, you can feel it in in the crowd when they're playing at home now it feels more like the Liverpool of two three years ago than it did last year I don't know about feeling it Stephen but I can definitely see it in the speed of their attack yeah you know what it is about, about Liverpool I think that you saying look at over we don't look over them and you attack the front three we talked to Ruby at the start remember the front three mm-hmm. regardless of how the midfield plan we're still on fire and you still fancy them but I think the thing is about Liverpool is for, how, for about two years now every single pundit and people that you know some people that are claiming not having a clue about football have been saying they need a midfield they need a midfield but Klopp the manager who we all adore and think is a, is a sensational he didn't identify it till now so it's like well we told you so we told you they needed the midfield to be revamped and that's why they're performing better so it's almost like it's a strange one to complement them because it's something that was glaring obviously needed to be changed and that change has has re- reinvigorated them. Um, it's just defensively now, like like Paul said, it, it's that 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 player that sits in front that protects the back back four, which you wouldn't have needed a few years back. Whereas now Van Dijk does not need need that little bit of back protection. But yeah, they're they're rampant going forward, and they look like they're just a resurgent team. Speaking of momentum, Paul, have Newcastle lost a bit of their early season momentum? I think it was always going to be difficult, Ruby. Uh, particularly when you when you look at the games that they were having to balance in the Champions League and the group that they were drawn there as well, I thought it was always going to be hard for them to find that balance between you know rotating players and also being able to kind of continue that form and momentum within the Premier League, and to to reach the heights that they did in top four was always going to be a massive challenge. So yeah, listen, it was a slip up. I think Gary O'Neill's done a really good job at Wolves, and Wolves is not an easy place to go and get um, a win against. But you, you can certainly feel that maybe they're they're conceding goals a little more than they were last year and uh, you know if you think about the foundations that they built with their back four they kept so many clean sheets that's not the same this season and yeah the result against Wolves was one that we'll probably look back on and go that was a bit of a Champions League hangover and you can kind of see that continue and they have a big game in the, in the League Cup against Man United this week and a result like that might just put a bit of a pep in their step but it feels like the Champions League is such a burden for Newcastle at the moment Stephen I was laughing about the fact that the Manchester derby was in Old Trafford and you wouldn't have known but teams certainly know when they're going to Villa Park now 12 wins in a row there oh. and Aston Villa again at the weekend <coughs> were brilliant Yeah I was there yesterday at that game I was working on the match um, and as much as Villa were absolutely brilliant and to be honest they didn't get out of second gear genuinely it was so comfortable Luton just came there not to get hammered honestly they, I, I don't think I've seen a team set up in the Premier League away from home just to like right well, we're happy to concede one or two but let's just not get pumped here and that's what they just set with a five at the back four midfield didn't press them Morrison just dropped into the middle of the park and he just sat there waiting for Villa to kind of counter-attack them and Villa could and even though they did that Villa still could have put seven or eight past them they missed Watkins missed two or three great chances Um Diaby up front he was a nuisance all night um, all day and they just look they're so confident at the moment Villa and I can understand Luton you know going there Villa Vinch you know putting goals past teams for fun they didn't want to ship a load but it was just chalk and cheese between the two teams and I was really disappointed Luton I expected a bigger fight from them to be honest People need to start talking about Emery a bit more, don't they? Oh, what a, what a manager. Honestly, does Irby gets yeah. a, a lot of credit and you know a lot of excuses are made for, for Eric Ten Hag Emery is like just a killer of all those excuses that you can think of if you think of where Villa were when he took over from Stephen Gerrard to the form they had last year to where they are now 
What a job he has done. Absolutely. Well, on that note, that is where we end our football chat. Stephen Kelly, Paul Corey, thank you both very much. Uh, we're going to be chatting marathon and we're going to hear Stephen Scullion and Anne-Marie McLean after a short break. Game on on 2FM. As one of our listeners poignly, kindly even pointed out at the start of the show yesterday, did see thousands take to the streets of Dublin again for the annual Irish Life Dublin City Marathon. RTE Damien Zamara was there to take in the action. Let's hear first from third place Stephen Scullion, who claimed the national title in the men's race. Stephen, third home overall is second national title, yeah. two eleven fifty one. Yeah. A great day's work overall. Yeah, no, that's a really good day's work. You know, I'm really happy that with like... 200 to go I tried the out sprint that guy because someone else had already told me I was in third and so I was thinking podium's done and then I thought wouldn't it be brilliant if I got second like in 2019 and I sprinted as hard as I could but you know thankfully I got the podium I think I messaged Jim five days ago Jim Alkney to say A awesome that I'm actually going to be there because I've withdrawn so many times um, and B yeah I thought I could podium I knew I think there's a it's not a cockiness or an arrogance it's just when you've put in like the work and you've trained hard it's just a surety that you know as it gets tough you're going to be okay you, I know the adrenaline is still running through you sure. you look like you look like you could nearly go again or certainly <laughs> take on take on a half marathon this this obviously means so much to you these national titles and yeah. to come home and to compete here yeah look I, I, I came here four years ago I think now and came second um, I remember sitting down you know it was on one of these tables sitting around here and you know everyone's always what's next what's the what's the next big goal what, what are you going to achieve next and I was like this could be it you know and so you have to really appreciate the good days and and when you're running well and you're consistently running well and I mean I I, I went 217 215 214 213 211 209 it's like I was invincible and nothing could stop me and then it starts going backwards. And, and I remember one of my friends running like 2.11.30 maybe, and, and he was a bit disappointed. And I said, trust me, you'll look back and go, that was a pretty good day, because there'll be plenty of worse days. So look, to come to Dublin again, to step up again on such a big occasion with Jim Ockney, Dublin Marathon that have supported me since I was 16, 17 years of age, backed me. I, I love doing it for them. Just a last one for me, and I'm nearly afraid to ask it after your answer <laughs> previously. What's next? Obviously, like people, people will talk now about Paris and people will talk about... Yeah. Like, this will give you a big boost in terms of qualification. Yeah, and, and look, this is not to be like rude or to say anything against the Olympics, but this was, this was for me and my happiness and my well-being. You know, I, I really struggle and I don't think people get it. They'd always be like... I think they'd watch my career and be like, why is he like this? You know, what's going on? And like, they don't know that every day for me is like, a, you can get through today. And so... If this journey takes me to the Olympics and I get there for once, maybe go and run well in a F and Irish jersey, which I bloody never seem to be able to do, you know, that would that would mean a lot to me. I always love hearing from Stephen Scullion. Uh, that was the men's national champion at yesterday's Dublin Marathon. Damien O'Mara also caught up with national champion in the women's race, Leonard Kenny's and Marie McGlynn. And Marie, it's such an emotional day, such a significant chapter in your career achieved on the streets of Dublin today. How, how are you feeling? Look... I'm getting over the other side of the hill now and I have to uh, take every day when I get it and a good day today. I had on my hand, today's my day and I believed it all the way around. I believed it all week. I know Courtney dropped out and she was in and she was out but you know people were messaging me and I said, 
it doesn't change anything for me because I have to run it, I have to finish, regardless of who, who's on my shoulder. So I knew I had a job to do regardless of who was in it. And me and Emmett had a plan and it never changed from 14 weeks ago. Could you enjoy it or did you feel that weight of expectation or maybe maybe even the weight of self-expectation? Yeah, like regardless, you can only be who's there on the day, but at the same time, 26 mile, I had to finish to get this you know it doesn't matter getting to 13 mile 20 mile i had to cross that line and that's what worried me a bit because anything can happen when the live stream was on me i i fell apart a bit because i got a bit anxious and i knew people were watching and you know your legs are tired it's normal and uh, when it went away i kind of relaxed a bit and when it came back the second time i was ready to embrace it there was at one point i think it was around the walkingstown roundabout you were on the live stream high-fiving a kid on the side of the road and giving but like, she looked at me and I was like, oh. And I did it last year and I did it the year before when I was beat. And I have two kids myself. And let me tell you, if somebody did that to them, it would make their day. So I had to do it, yeah. But you looked like coolness personified. And I think even that was that was mentioned on the live stream. Yeah, that I was, strong. I was strong. So when you're strong, it's easier to, to live in the moment and smile and kind of embrace it. At the same time, in the back of your head, you have to think anything can happen. You know, I could feel with two miles to go, my coach roared over, let's go, every second counts. But I knew my calves were starting to, and I thought, oh, I need to get home. So There was a chap alongside you for a lot of it. Was yeah. that was that kind of an unofficial pacer along yeah, the way, or just someone you, someone you bumped along? I feel so bad because I passed him with about 10 metres to go. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, um, the guy I was supposed to run with passed me at a half a mile. I'd never seen him before that. <laughs> He's like, hi, I'm Rianne Clive, I was supposed to run with you. I was like, that's all right, keep going. So you have to run your own race, you have to. The outpouring of goodwill for you, it's phenomenal. This will all sink in and can you celebrate a day that maybe at other times in your career you might have thought was going to evade you? Look, I, in 2019 I thought I had it. Last year I thought there was a chance. And the amount of support I have like I went past Pronsky I went past Roebuck I went to university there in my head I went past UCD and I I pumped fist up to Noel Carroll because that was my coach for a couple of months and I have his name here and I honestly I was praying to them all like bring me home Well a massive congratulations to Anne-Marie her unofficial pace setter Clive and everyone who took part in the Dublin Marathon